Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Lord, thank you that you have said you're going to build your church. And that when your church sets out to invade hell, to populate heaven, you said the gates of hell cannot prevail. Thank you that your church is a living, dynamic force on earth today. And we thank you for the the word that comes to us, to the church, for the church, by the church. Give us ears to hear today, in Jesus' name. Amen. The distinguishing mark of a disciple is that they love one another. We looked last week, Jesus coming and washing the disciples' feet. And you were there represented in those disciples as Jesus put that towel around him, took the bowl. You were represented as someone who would betray him. And he washed their feet. He washed your feet. He washed my feet. You were represented as someone who would lie, someone who would steal, someone who would kill, someone who would commit adultery. And he bowed down before you. And when he washed your feet, he was saying, I'm holding no record of your sin anymore. The old covenant as its great commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength. The only problem is you can only give what you've got. And God will never demand of us what he hasn't given to us. So in the new covenant, when Jesus pours out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, he says, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another as I have loved you. And by this, all men will know. A new commandment. And by this, all men will know you, my disciples, if you love one another. Amen. When I realized that the old covenant demanded that I must go out and try harder. It was a try harder covenant. But the new covenant is a covenant where he has supplied by his spirit the wherewithal to do the job. So this is not another go out and try harder message of loving one another. This is a message of your identity, who you are in Christ. And it's interesting that Jesus speaks to his disciples, washes their feet, removes the record of their sin, and then says, go and do the same. Last week we looked at the fact that we need to throw out some of our old records. Those records that have been playing over and over in our minds. The Bible says in Corinthians 13, love does not hold a record of sin. But when we're holding a record of sin and we're playing those records in our mind, it it reinforces the old bad habits. And we have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And there's no better starting place than saying, Lord What you commanded, you've empowered. You've commanded us to love one another, and therefore we can love one another. And 
Now, it's interesting he's speaking to his disciples. Does that mean that the love that we have for each other is confined to just fellow believers? No, of course not. This love is all-embracing. It's world-embracing for God so loved the world. But it's interesting that he's giving this to his disciples. And I think there might be a reason, a subliminal underwriting of the reason for that. Because it's one thing to say, I love everybody in the world, but it's another story to love the person three rows in front of you, four rows to the left. Amen? I I got saved and I just thought everyone was going to be an angel in the church. I kind of waltzed in there and I thought, Oh, everyone's going to just love everybody, and it's going to be so sweet and kind and gentle. And if you've been in the church longer than a month, you probably find out that's not true. Now, I know in a slightly bigger church, you know, you've got a few different communities. So not everybody knows everybody, but you know enough people to know that people can really rub you up. I I mean, I I don't want to talk about this, my, my first encounter with iron sharpening iron, but I did what all good Christians did in that situation. I ran away. Problem when I came to Durban, he was also in the church. So you can't run away, you know, you've got to face your giants, and it's nobody sitting here, okay? I promise. <laughs> That's why, no, naughty. I remember going to, to a love feast. Hey, and by the way, we're going to be having a love feast at the end of the year. End of November, we're going to all get together and we're going to have uh, a feast for the continents, feast to the nations. We're going to remember the nations. We're going to have Africa and Europe and India and China. We're going to have a, a nation feast in here and you invited. So that's just, anyway, so I'm at this love feast, a young Christian. It was an Easter thing that they did. And while I was serving up my meal, it was like this on conveyor belt thing that we all stood in line and the elder's wife, standing behind the table, said to me, uh, please put back one of those chops until everybody's received. <laughs> so now I'm standing with this plate. I was taught at home, he who does not grab first goes hungry. So, so my values were well entrenched. You better jump in before you, the sisters and brothers and all the ravaging wolves smell the meat. And because I was the oldest and biggest, I survived. I stood there at this Christian festival with this elder's wife standing in front of me. Suddenly she loomed larger than Goliath. Her eyes were a flame of fire. Her hair is white as lightning. And she looked at me and said, please put back one of those chops until everyone else has had. And it's taken me 30 years. No, I've I've had victory in the long ago. It took me 10 years to realize what she was saying. It's the Bible says, consider others. And when there's a love feast, don't jump in and take a doggy bag for your auntie, your cousin, Mr. Big Bucks, little Mrs. Big Bucks, and all of their little pennies. Don't just grab and jump in and scoop everything for yourself. Consider others. But was I hurt? was I furious that she dared to do what my mother had never done to me. You see, the church sometimes can be a brutal place. And uh, maybe that doesn't sound so brutal. Maybe a chop. You see, 
I went around rehearsing that record over and over in my mind. Christians, they say they love you, but they just walk right past you and don't even say hello to you. Christians, oh, they're getting together and having a party and I wasn't even invited. Oh, Christians, put that chop back. Christians, eh? stop cutting your fingernails during the sermon. Christians, yes. Even my own parents didn't dare to treat me like that. In church, we can very easily pick up offense. Because I think that's why Jesus was speaking to the believers. Because it's easy, in a sense, to love the world out there. But when you're in community, it's easy to be offended. It's easy to have bitterness. It's easy to be subject to gossip. I know that will never happen in this church. Only time we talk about other people's problems is for prayer purposes. But when you know people have spoken about you behind your back, I mean, that, that, that's hurt. And unforgiveness. You think that can't happen in a church? It happens all the time. Things happen. People get hurt. There's unforgiveness. What about just being disappointed? You know, you, you get disappointment when you had an appointment in your mind about something. And then it, you got dissed. And, and there's disappointments. You don't ask to get to do something or something, you, you know, you weren't healed that same day that Richard's knee got healed, your knee didn't get healed. And they, we can leave with disappointments, just feeling let down. In church, it's very possible to feel let down and to feel left out. You know, oh, the worship team got together, but somehow they had your old cell phone number because you didn't update the record and you heard they had a social, but you didn't get the nod. Oh, and there's feelings of being left out, feelings of being judged. If you're feeling judged right now, it's the Holy Spirit, okay? It's not me. Feelings of, of, of uh, judgment. Often we, we feel people are criticizing us. Oh, yeah, it's, I know why they didn't greet me when I walked past him. It's probably because he heard that I'd started smoking again. And now, well, I don't care anyway. I'm not going to apologize to man for, for what's happened. You know what I found out about what people are thinking about you? Is they're not thinking about you. Most of the time, they're actually not thinking about you. When you feel judged about something, it's usually your own conscience that you're feeling judged in. And then you project that onto somebody else and come up with a story in your mind that begins to elaborate and elaborate and elaborate. You feel judged. You feel overlooked, unappreciated, neglected. Who's ever felt like that in a church? I have. Yeah, that's next week. That's next week. Next week I'm going to be a... Pl- yeah, anyway. But in, in this church, in this family, often people do things and nobody came back and said thank you for setting that up or putting that table back or cleaning there. And that's why Paul's very clear when he says, whatever you do, do is unto the Lord. Because if you do it to him, he's always happy. Do it for people to see, then you can live with unhappiness and feel that you've been unappreciated, neglected, overlooked. And then one of the worst is abused. You know, you can feel, I gave and I did and I served and I worked and, and what? What was it? It's the offense of scandal on, being scandalized. 
and, and the feeling of, 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 of being abused is, is, has got to be dealt with. These are root causes of relational breakdown. And they're records we can play over and over and over. And they prohibit the growth of Christ and they prohibit the unity of the Spirit and therefore they prohibit the most vital characteristic of being a disciple is to love one another. So, what we're going to do here this morning, uh, the, the results of these relational records that we keep playing over and over in our minds is withdrawal. We begin to pull back. We begin to, you know, we're in the front row, then the third row, then the eighth row, then the back row, then the mother's room, then in the car park, and then up the road at Spur, and then on the beachfront, and then in Australia. Okay, it's kind of, you can see in people's, they, they withdraw, they withdraw. The critical spirit. I start, you know, I don't like the way they do that. That's too loud. Well, that's too hot. I came to church and, oh, it smelled musty. And, oh, and this, the preaching was too long. And, and, and he, he, he was judging me this morning because he's probably heard something about me. And we get critical about things. An orphan spirit is the worst result of these, of these uh, offenses, of these records we can start playing is that we start developing an independence that's unhealthy. It's an isolation. I know at times, being a pastor, I relate to the, to the pastor who built his house on the edge of the cliff with crocodiles below and, and the big five on top. You know, there's times where you just get up and over peopled. And we've got to be so careful. Not to withdraw, become an orphan spirit. Malice. You know what malice is? Malice is kind of hoping something bad happens to someone to teach them a lesson. It's just a nice, this is the real word, malice. To be malicious is, well, I told you so. It's like hearing that a, a, someone's ministry failed and going, yeah, well, it was all hype anyway. Hearing someone's business failed. Yeah, well, he was probably, you know, crooking his partners. It's almost like a malice. Blaming, pride, envy, anger. And so I want to treat these with a little bit more depth. I'm going to do two this morning and the, another one next week. A new commandment I give to you. To break the record you've been playing over and over in your mind. So let's, let's look at three recording studios that need to be demolished. Okay, two today and one next week. The first one is pride. It's one of the relational breakdowns in a community. The scripture says that pride goes before destruction. And a haughty spirit before a fall. What, what is this pride we're talking about here? It's the kind of, don't you know who I am kind of pride. You know, I've been doing this longer than you. And therefore, you know, I set myself apart as being someone. Look how good I am. Look how you can't do without me. Pride 
I'm not talking about a healthy pride where you're proud of your children's accomplishment, but a kind of a pride where you begin to puff yourself up about something and see yourself as better than people around you. Well, I'm not going to be part of that because I'm a step up. Feeling of superiority. Well, don't you know who I am? I actually once heard a pastor say that. We're sitting around eating, and someone came over to him and started talking, and he looked at this guy and says, don't you know who I am? I don't know if he meant it with that tone or if he just thought he recognized him. <laughs> we, we had a worship team. It was an internationally renowned worship team. They wrote a song. I won't tell you because you'll Google it, and then you'll know who I'm talking about. But you know them. And we had them in the old days when, we, when the back wall was over here, and it was a blue church, remember? And that was all closed in over there, and we, they'd come to do a worship thing on the Sunday afternoon and Sunday night, and we had ordered uh, cold drinks and pizzas so that between sessions they'd have something to go and eat. And one of the guys serving overheard them talking amongst themselves. Yes, in an American accent, I do confess. Saying, is this all we're getting for supper here? Do they not know who we are? Don't they know who we are? Is this it? We're just getting pizza? Don't they know who we are? And I mean, that's to, uh, we laughed when we heard that. We rolled. We thought that was so funny. We couldn't have them wait to get them back again for Kentucky Fried Chicken. I mean, but pride is an attitude of, don't you know, don't you know who I am? I wrote a few things here. Pride says, don't you know who I am? Humility doesn't need to show off its accomplishments, but is generally, genuinely interested in what the other person has achieved. Pride says, you must take the first step if you want reconciliation. Humility takes the initiative and says, Lord, you've loved me so much, I can now love because you first loved me. Pride says, look how good I am. You can't do without me. Humility says, how can I make you look good? I need you in the same way that you need me. That spirit of pride is a subtle creep. It's that spiritual superiority comes under the guise of, you know, this morning when Jesus was speaking to me and four angels brought coffee into my bedroom. Now, now that's wonderful if that happened. But don't elevate those people because pride comes before a fall and we don't want to set them up for failure. Well, that person's not in my class. You know, that says straight away. I can't be part of, though, that social economic stratus. No, no, you see, in the body of Christ, you won, and there's no difference. Years ago, when we had a few people migrate to, to the Westville Baptist Church, God bless them, may they increase and grow forever. But we had a few families go over. A friend of mine who lived down the road here, yeah, came to tell me he was going to the Westville Baptist Church. I said, you live in walking distance. Why do you want to go to the Westville Baptist Church? He said, no, man, that's where all the Oaks with Bucks are going. I'm not kidding. And I stood there and I thought, what has the church come to? What has the church come to if we think in those terms? Please don't try and work out who I'm talking about. Okay, I need to move. 
along. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Isn't that beautifully written? As he has given you. Pride keeps on rehearsing the records of what other people have done to you. Call it unforgiveness, but it's stubbornness. It's a pride. I mentioned last week the guy I had coffee with. 20 years ago, he had a church discipline situation. And at our coffee, after we haven't spoken for about 15 years, it comes up, but it comes up with bitterness and anger and cussing. And I thought, what has 15 years of going to another church taught you? We can't come with humility and love. And yes, people make mistakes. Leaders make mistakes. God even uses the mistakes of others to refine what's in our heart. You know that? Because God's not so interested in what's happening to us, but what's happening in us. And yes, maybe it was harsher and it was more ominous in its theology and you know, plucking the brother from the jaws of hell and you know, handing him over to Satan. Maybe we didn't understand some things and would do it differently. But to be bitter 20 years later, you see, the Bible says, humble yourself under the hand of God and he'll raise you up. God, the Bible says God actually resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit yourself, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he'll lift you up. I love this illustration. Richard, will you help me? Will you come and walk under my hand and then walk up the stairs? You see what just happened? You humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and what does he do? He elevates you. Thanks, Rich. Humbly, when we come with a spirit of humility, God is able to lift us up in the midst of our enemies. But when we come with pride, we feel this continual Resistance. Do nothing out of selfish... I beg your pardon. I think I've run ahead. No, I haven't. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the cross, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the first factory that needs to be demolished is that factory of pride. So, so I want to ask you to make a Confession with me this morning. A faith confession. Can we do that? Right. Coming up. This is a new record. This is our new declaration. 
Let's say this together. Lord, thank you for the grace in my life. I'm only who I am by your grace. Without you, I would be nothing. Without you, I'm scared to imagine where my life would have ended up. Fill me with your humility and love for the people around me. Amen? The second factory that needs to be demolished, the second record studio, is that of envy and jealousy. Now, this is nothing. Wait until you see what I've got for you next week. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. You see, envy is rooted in a lack of understanding of my identity. If I want what's yours, then I don't really know what God's got for me. Because if I want to walk the path you're walking, that means I've taken the eyes off the path I should be walking. If I want to spend my life trying to imitate and be that preacher on TV, who's going to spend their life trying to imitate and be, live my life? So you've got a life to live that nobody else can live. And the moment we feel envy and jealousy because somebody else cracked the knot, someone else got the position, someone else got the promotion, it reveals in us that we've taken our eyes off our identity that because I'm unique, I can't be compared to anybody else. A unique thing can't be compared. A light bulb can't be compared to a frog. They are unique. They are different. When I realize that because I'm unique, I can't be, to be compared with anything, that never has anyone appeared on this earth who looks exactly like you. Even I have 20. Never has there appeared on this earth someone who's had your life experience. Your gifts, your attributes, your, your, what you've learned, your life experience. Never, like every snowflake is unique. Your uniqueness in God means that you've got something nobody else has got. So why do we have to envy what other people have got if we understand our identity? It also reveals that I don't understand the Father's acceptance of me. Because somewhere deep down, I think I've got to be different to be more pleasing different, to be more fulfilled. I can't just trust the fact that daddy's approval of me means I'm everything he wants me to be. So I'll begin comparing and playing the comparison game. And envy is also rooted in not knowing that my purpose is unique. And the sad thing about a lot of people that deal with self-pity, it's because they're playing the envy game. The envy and jealousy game. Looking at what others have got. Looking at what others have done. And that deep self-pity starts to creep in. But Jesus says, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. Love is not jealous of my brother's success. In fact, my brother's success must bring me joy. My brother's taking new territory and increasing must make me happy. When I hear he got a promotion at work, I should jump up and click my heels. 
When I heard he got the spot I didn't get, I should say, thank you, Lord, and give him some more. That is the cure of much relational tension that happens in a body because of selfish jealousy and envy. And instead of waking up in the morning and saying, Lord, what have I ever done to deserve even one of the... Wake up in the morning and go, Lord, why do they always prosper? Why are they always blessed? And he got the promotion that I should have got. And now, instead of being in the choir, I'm just handing out tickets at the back door, and it's not fair anymore. Self-pity creeps in. Yeah, you can give me a hand if you like. Thanks, Rich. Thanks for acknowledging my, 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 my great singing gift. Are you envious of my singing gift? <laughs> uh. Now, this is a not one of those messages of let's go out and try harder not to be envious. This is a message of he commanded me to do something that he supplied me with, to love. And when I start loving, those relational breakdowns are going to be sorted out. Record by record is going to be broken over my life. I know, often I look at other people's promotions, how well other people are doing in their particular ministry or whatever they're doing, and the opportunities they get because they were at the right place at the right time. But you know, we don't stop and ask ourselves what price they had to pay to do that. We don't stop and ask ourselves, were they praying while I was playing? We don't stop and ask ourselves, were they taking the things of God seriously while we we're playing the fool? I, I don't say that's the, the answer to that. But what I'm saying is it's easy to look at somewhere someone's got to and not realize that there's a history behind that. So we can celebrate other people's success and growth. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying one another. Because then we look for reasons to disqualify them. When we get jealous of someone, you know, uh, he just got the promotion because, because he did this and that. Uh, yeah, she got the promotion. No, no, no prizes for guessing what, she, you know, she did. We had a guy, recently, he left the church. I'm very sad. He went for music auditions. Um, not everybody who signs up for something gets a space immediately, and he didn't. And he disappeared, and I bumped into him, and he said, well, I'm not going to be part of a church where there's nepotism. I said, nepotism? Yes. I saw the worship leader up there with his daughter, and I, I went, and I, I practiced, and, and I went for an audition, and what, so, so we give the jobs to, you know, the second uh, family, and I said, you completely misunderstood. She can sing in key, and you can't. It's simple. I didn't say it like that. I didn't say it like that. I said, all those with good voices stand up. Not so quickly, bro. <laughs> now, nepotism is an ugly thing. I'm, you know, this thing of pastors giving churches to their, their sons and ministries over. I, I, don't, I don't think that's always a, a wise thing because it's going to kill the poor child, first of all, you know. 
But secondly, it's not wrong to do it if it's really in God. And I know of many cases where it's been very successful and blessed and had God's approval and the, the leadership approval on it. But to say because someone has a child who can sing beautifully that they're not allowed to have their child sing beautifully because it's nepotism. Can you see how jealousy and envy gets really ugly? Come on. Leave it to God. Let him sort it out. Let him judge the situation. He says, vengeance is mine. Let me deal with it. You just keep your heart right. If it's something you need to talk about, go and talk to the person privately, like the Bible says, with humility and in a, in a, a building way. And if you don't resolve it, call for the elders. I'm all for the processes. I'm not saying bury your head under the ground. But please don't run away and then say the church is a nepotistic church. It's not helping. Richard, you took all my time. Can we make a declaration together? Let's say together, Lord, I delight in their blessing. In fact, I want you to bless them more. I find joy in seeing others blessed, fulfilled, and promoted. In fact, Lord, Please prosper them more in Jesus' name. Amen. So in conclusion, we can stand up and we're gonna, I'm going to just read this over you. If I speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. It keeps no records of wrongs. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's lift up our hands. Lord, there's been such an anointing in the service today of your presence from when we opened right through to the, the, the ministry, Lord. And I know you're doing a deep work of adjustment. It was the word that came out of the prayer meeting this morning, adjustment. The pre-service prayer meeting was a picture of a magnet and all the other magnets lining up, adjustment. We pray for adjustment in our hearts. As we bow before your great command to love one another as you loved us. To love one another with our warts and freckles, differences, smells, hearts, ages, cultures, economics. To love one another from the heart as a family. I pray over this church here at Highway that we'll be a people where they'll say there's something different. 
Their foundation is grace. And they live in love for one another.